turn to the back of the worship guide, page 13, look there at the bottom at the italicized statement that the statement that encapsulates our identity, our vision as a church. The church of the incarnation exists for the glory of God and labors with others to build a great city for all people through a movement of the gospel that brings personal conversions, community formation, social justice, and cultural renewal to Harrisonburg and the surrounding region. Now, that's our identity. That's our mission, our vision. And embedded in there are 10 core values, 10 things that we value so deeply. You could talk, of them like, talk about them like DNA kind of stuff. Now, in the fall, I preached a series of sermons that walked through seven of them. Um, one of the things that I hope you heard throughout the fall was that God's work is as wide as creation. What God is doing in this world is cosmic. It's comprehensive. It covers every square inch of nature and culture. And he invites us, he calls us to join him in that creation-wide work. Now, as we do that, as we as a church and we as individuals grow more and more convinced that God's work is bigger than souls, that this is my Father's world, that his work in our souls is not to be separated from his work in our world. One of the things we must never forget is that our public lives, our labors for God, our active pursuits of shalom must be nourished by our deep, personal, existential relationship with Jesus Christ himself. In other words, our journey out into the world must be accompanied by a journey into Christ. And the word for this journey, the word for the journey into Christ is spiritual formation. It's one of our core values. And today I'm beginning a series of sermons that will take us through Advent the weeks leading up to Christmas, that are focused, all focused on that single core value, spiritual formation. This, this deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ that, that is the way heart change occurs. This is available to all of us, to every single one of us. Now, I'm going to open up the series this morning. This is an Advent. Advent is about preparing yourself to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the natural time to talk about spiritual formation, the spiritual life, the, the, the personal relationship with Jesus. There's going to be two parts to my sermon this morning. Number one, what is it in particular about our work with God in his world that requires spiritual formation. 
So it's the question of why. Why do we need spiritual formation if we're going to engage in God's creation-wide vision? Number two, how do we go about doing spiritual formation? How do we go about being formed by Christ? How do we learn to journey ever deeper into Jesus so that spiritual formation actually occurs? All right, first of all, why do we need spiritual formation for the outward journey, for the journey into the world? Three reasons. First of all, this world is complicated. Life is complicated. The issues we deal with are complicated. Relationships are hard. Work is hard. And spiritual formation in a unique way positions us to receive wisdom. Wisdom is found in spiritual formation. If you have a Bible, find the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. It's, if you just open to the middle, it's a few ticks to the right. After the book of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And what's the purpose of this book of Proverbs? To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealings, wise behavior, wisely navigating life. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice. Justice takes wisdom. Have you ever, have any of you parents ever tried to, to justly sort out a conflict among your children in a way that's actually just to all parties involved? It requires the wisdom of Solomon, right? And equity. How do we bring equity to really difficult situations to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth? This is one of the deepest needs we have in our society today. But here we live in a modern society where we are heirs to the achievements and idolatries of the Enlightenment. Scientific progress and technology, they have brought incredible gains to our lives. Gains that few of us would ever want to be without. But accompanying the gains of the Enlightenment has been a serious confidence in ourselves. A profound sense of self-assurance. Our culture tells us, if you can get a good enough education, if you can be smart enough, you can find the right help for your life, for your family's life, for your neighborhood, for your community. You can solve problems. It's just not true. It's not. As education has advanced in America, have we become more gentle, more kind, more peaceful? Is there less conflict in families now than before the educational revolution took place? Did Germany, with all of its intense education, escape genocide? It's just not true. One of the lies of the Enlightenment is that knowledge is enough. That you can divorce knowledge from reason. You can turn knowledge into knowing things and that solves problems. Our reading from Proverbs and what, and what George read to us from James, it tells us something else. James chapter 1, it focuses on the complexity of life. On the complexity of having lots of money. 
on the, complex, on the complexities that come with not having enough money. It focuses on a whole range of complexities, and right in the middle of it, it says this. If any of you lacks knowledge, no. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, not go to school. It's in the deep, personal relationship with God that we find the source of wisdom, and he gives it to us relationally, generously, without reproach, and it will be given To all who ask. You see, the starting point for the wisdom that modern society needs, real wisdom, the kind of wisdom that produces peace, not violence. The starting point is a deep, personal, serious relationship with the source of wisdom, God himself. This is the lesson that we hear in the book of Job, when Job faces one of the deepest problems in life, inexplicable, overwhelming, physical, emotional, relational suffering, for which there is no answer. And when you enter into the dark, long night of that kind of experience, Job discovers at the end of it, God, An encounter with God, drawing deeply into an intimate encounter with God, that is where we find wisdom for suffering. There is a way of having a deep personal relationship with God that opens us up to the power of God working to form us, to transform us, into wise people so that we are people who know how to bring justice and equity so that we can become the kind of people who are prudent and knowledgeable and have discretion. If we are going to help lead our city, our world, our neighborhoods, if you're going to help impact your family, lead your family into paths of shalom, you need the wisdom that is at the fount of reality, God himself. Whose family is not complicated? Who is not among us going into a very complex set of family engagements in the weeks ahead? Where will wisdom be found? Our mission in the world will be vacuous without an ever-deepening relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is complicated, so we need wisdom. And spiritual formation positions us to receive wisdom from the Almighty. A second reason we need spiritual formation is if we are going to bring Christ to birth again and again in this world. If we are going to do that, we must admit that the truth about this world, the truth about Christ, is difficult to believe. Our message is, is not believable. Our solutions do not strike the ear as trustworthy. 
And because the message we want to bring into the world and the solutions we want to bring to the world, because they are so off-putting to the world, our need is for plausibility. Right? If, if what you're saying is difficult to believe, then one of your great needs is a way of making what you're saying actually plausible. Spiritual formation offers us a way into the journey of transformative renewal. Let me, let me explain what I mean. The message we bring to our world, it's difficult to believe. I mean, it's difficult for us to believe. I, I, I was struck by this. My family watched the movie Avatar a couple of weeks ago. And it's so fun and so entertaining and so much easier to believe that the way the world's problems are going to be solved is we meet violence with violence. How do I convince myself that that's not the way this thing's going to end up? How do I actually stop believing the narratives that Hollywood and our whole society are putting out there? How do we actually in our bones believe the story we talk about? It is so difficult to believe that God is the ultimate reality, that he made this world good, and, and all the brokenness will be undone. Do you really believe that? That all the sadness will come untrue, and that there will come a day when you will not face death. Our relationships will be healed. Our bodies will be healed. Our cities will be healed. There will be a new creation, a world renewed. There will be life, real physical life in a real physical earth. Do you believe that? And, and as hard as it is for you and I to believe that, what about the people who don't buy in to the framework? The blues are going to be bluer. The greens are going to be greener. How do we believe that in his miracles Jesus demonstrated it? In his teachings, he explained it. In his death, he secured the victory over all the twisting and perverting of life. And in his resurrection, Jesus inaugurated the new kingdom. But how do you see it? How do you imagine it? How do you believe it? In our gospel passage this morning, in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit of the new heavens and the new earth. The fruit he's talking about, it's lives that match the message. The message of hope and renewal is impossible to believe. It requires hopeful, renewed people to make it believable. Who we are, the way we act, the way we behave. The way our families function, our attitudes, our habits, our response to anger. This has the power of making what we say is true actually believable. Or to put it negatively, unformed people damage Christianity. When we talk about God's goodness and God's power and His grace and His beauty and His justice and His kindness, but we fail to manifest grace and humility and peace and kindness and self-control, it reinforces the perception that we're just talking about a fairy tale. So 
Spiritual formation is the daily ongoing practices that create the space for the Spirit of God to transform us into walking, talking, agents, ambassadors, emissaries, manifestations of the new heavens and the new earth. Spiritual formation offers us a way into the journey of transformative renewal that makes our message plausible. Third, why do we need spiritual formation? Number three, because attempts to serve God in this world, laboring for shalom, to put it mildly, will not always be welcomed. All mission worth its name will be accompanied by resistance and suffering. As we seek to spread the fragrance of Christ in Christ's world, we will suffer and spiritual formation opens for us the gifts that come in the wounds. Listen again to Jesus' words in our gospel reading. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Now just put yourself in the place of the vine there. Part of what we see here is that the work of God in our life can be painful. A pruning. I am not saying that you should think of all your sufferings and losses as things that God does to you to prune you. Some people, when they get all doped up on the sovereignty of God, they try to make sense of evil, awful events in people's lives by saying something like, well, it must be God's will and God's will is good. That is absolutely not what I'm trying to say. What we see here in John's gospel is that God can use suffering to open us up to gifts that we can receive in no other way. Spiritual formation, the deep journey into Christ, the deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When we go on that journey, suffering is a major tool God uses to form us into his image. And it's as we experience that deep and personal intimate relationship with Jesus, with the Lord Jesus himself, it's as we experience that that we learn how to lay our head on his breast. And as we lay our head on his breast, we are laying our head upon the one who bore in his body the wounds of the world. And so we learn, like him, to take up the cross. Knowing that carrying a cross always leads to Golgotha. And in this way, we are transformed into the kind of people 
who can wash the feet of others. Who can offer cold water. Who can serve as our master served. After all, it is in the breaking of his body and your body that the world is fed. So just to review, our journey out into the world must be matched by a journey into Christ. Working for God in this world must be matched by a serious journey of spiritual formation because life is very complicated. And where else will we find wisdom but in Christ himself? Because the message we offer the world is hard to believe. And spiritual formation makes us into the kind of people Whose life matches our message and it gives it plausibility. Because working with Jesus in this world will draw us into deep suffering. And spiritual formation opens us up to the gifts that come in the wounds. So that's why we need spiritual formation. But how does it actually happen? How do we go about being formed into Christ? How do we go on that journey into Christ where deep heart transformation actually occurs? Well, I'm going to begin to answer that question this morning, and then the next two weeks I'll carry on answering the how question. But this morning I want to start answering how are we transformed? How do we have spiritual formation? I want to begin this morning by offering you three biblical requirements for spiritual formation. Number one, Spiritual formation requires privacy. You must develop hidden habits. One of the things that stands out about Jesus in the Gospels is not only that when synagogue happened, he was at synagogue. Not only did he do this. Not only did he do the public, ritualized expressions of Christianity. Absolutely, we've talked tons about that in the life of our church. But one of the remarkable things about Jesus is his private, hidden life in God. His devotional life. Over and over we find Jesus, like it says in Luke chapter 5 verse 16, slipping away to remote places where he could be alone. Where he could commune with God privately. In hiding. In secret. Now the primary place where we encounter God is in the local congregation. As we gather around him to hear his address and to eat and drink of his life. And Jesus modeled that for us, but it's primary. What we're doing now is primary, but it is insufficient. If this is all you're doing, it is not enough. Whenever you find heroes of the Christian faith, and I'm thinking of Mother Teresa, Jean Vanier, Thomas Merton, when you, when you find people like this, when you read their biographies, when you look at their writings, when you listen to their teachings and talk with people who met them, the thing that stands out over and over is their deep centeredness in Jesus. And when you get a glimpse into their lives, you discover a lifetime of hidden practices of spiritual formation. 
daily ongoing habits of drawing aside in private to give yourself to the one who will give himself to you without limit. There is a God. He is love to the core of his being and he will not hold back any of it from you. When Jesus says in John 15 verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, this is intensely personal. What more personal statement could any human ever make to another human? This is an invitation to a deep, ongoing, interpersonal, private, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And this happens through repeated Daily, habitual, private, personal times with God in quietness and prayer and scripture. So you've been given a devotional for Advent. We gave them out last week. If you didn't get one, on, there's a bunch on the back table. You need to get one of these. I encourage you to use it. Now let me show you something about it. There's a scripture reading for every day of Advent. Actually, there's a ton of them. There's a few psalms for the morning, then an Old Testament reading, then then a reading from one of the letters of the New Testament, then psalms for the evening, then a gospel reading, and then readings for a family. Look, you don't have to do all of them. Pick one category. Pick It's like skiing down a mountain, right? Just pick a line. If it's the gospels, do that one. If it's the Old Testament, do that one. If you already do a reading, then just tick it up and do two readings. If you're not used to reading the Bible, just do one. If if you're going to pick the Psalms, you don't have to do all the Psalms. Just pick one of them. But what you need to do, this is so important. We learn this from all the spiritual masters. You need to pick the same time and the same place every day. Only disembodied Western people who talk in terms of time and space think that place doesn't matter. You need a place. Whether it's a chair at a desk, it needs to be the same place every day at the same time every day. Now, could you do it without this? Yeah, it'll just make you unique in the history of the world. Same time, same place. Light a candle. Take a deep breath. Draw a breath in for five seconds. Hold it for two seconds. Let it out for seven seconds. Remember that Christ is the light of the world. Offer up a quick prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, help me to hear you as I read scripture. Help me to stop being distracted and open myself to you. A kind of a a beginning prayer. Then read the scriptures and respond. Maybe you'll respond by giving thanks for... A rule we teach our children. When you pray, do three things. Give thanks for something in particular. Respond to the passage in some way. And ask God for something. It's really easy. It's a discipline that you have to commit yourself to doing. Parents, you have to teach your children how to do this. Janelle and I sat down with our kids yesterday and said, for Advent, we want all of you to pick. Shelby's little, so we're picking out some psalms for him and a little child's version of the psalms. The other kids, we told them each, pick one of the categories. And then we asked them later in the day, what place are you going to do it in? What time are you going to do it? You should do it in the morning. 
Now, some people try to do it in the evenings, laying in their bed, right before they fall asleep, which ends up being as they fall asleep. We don't make them do it in the morning. You need to develop a private hidden life with God. Be like Jesus. So first of all, spiritual formation requires that, the private, personal, hidden time with Christ. Second, spiritual formation requires slowness. Slowness. You have got to slow down, and you have got to simplify your life. Your busyness, your full schedule is as much an enemy to spiritual formation as your evil habits. You have got to believe that. The psalm says, be still and know that I am God. Spiritual formation requires slowness and simplicity and some of our parents you need to confess to your children that you have led them into a bad way of living by filling up their lives with so many activities that they cannot know God this is one of the ways that we will look different than our world John chapter 15 abide in me abide does that strike your ear as frenetic as frantic As busy, as fast? Do you think Jesus looked at his disciples and said, abide in me? Come on, hurry. We got to go. We got things to do. No. If abide means anything, it certainly means slow down. Spiritual formation requires attentiveness, familiarity, silence, slowness, stability, and repetition. They are all required for the deep heart transformation that it takes to be made into the image of Christ. If you can't slow down, you will not change. You'll be stuck in the same habits, in the same patterns. Simplicity, slowness. We are lunatics for not buying into this. And this is so hard to do in our speed-driven, consumerist Western culture. Our family makes a hard commitment that we are going to be bored at home four nights a week. That means home before dinner, for dinner, and after dinner, with no single individual in the family having a commitment. This is hard for a family of seven. But our children's spiritual life depends on it. Spiritual formation requires... It is only as we are deeply and existentially centered in Christ that we can become attentive to a world that needs attention. If we learn to be faithful people in our world, we will be slow, slower people. We will slow down and say with our lives that our world cannot be saved through frantic activity. Jesus calls us to abide in him. And number three, do not underestimate the role your home plays. In your spiritual formation. 
This is what we heard Sophia read to us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Whether you are married or not, whether you own a house or rent a room, if you have roommates or you live alone, the physical place where you abide is fundamental to your abiding in Christ. Listen again to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Notice how it begins with the command to love God with all of your heart. And it ends talking about interior decorating. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Well, how do you get them to your heart? Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand. They shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If Deuteronomy 6 is telling us anything, it's telling us that the home is a gateway into the massive world of God. The physical home itself. Your home must deliberately and concretely nurture an encounter with Yahweh. One of the great challenges we need to conquer is a challenge of how, practically speaking, to make our homes a place of encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of what Deuteronomy 6 shows us, it's not only about spatial architecture, it's about temporal architecture. It's about rhythm and routine. Christian formation is more about rhythm and routine than it is about miracles and spectacular moments. Our homes will greatly benefit from a routine and a rhythmic balance of prayer and work. Is your home marching to the drumbeat? Is it rhythmed by prayer and work? We need a rhythm and balance in the routines of our daily life. And rather than seek the miraculous and the spectacular, the wise Christian family learns to delight in the mundane. A daily routine that includes both the active and the passive, from prayer and contemplation and meditation to the study of scriptures and to work. School is children's work, chores. The order and routine that we establish in our homes, they're not an end in themselves. They're a means to an end. Um, You can be as creative as you can be on this. Like there's a a million ways to pull this off. I'll tell you, our, our family's doing it. We've asked all of our children to have their own personal devotional life. And in the evening, we do the Jesse tree reading. And... We're not looking for any of those to change the world. We're just creating a rhythm, a routine. It's because it's in the rhythms and the routine and the mundane. Where are we going to find the resources we need if we are going to help our city find paths of shalom? The answer is preeminently by living deeply into Christ. We must learn to journey ever deeper into the Lord Jesus so that he can nourish and sustain our active lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.